Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome along. The podcast is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name is Dan Moylan. Hello. Michael Normanton's with me. Hello. And I'm joined by Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. To go all in on the square ball, have a look at our all-in-one subscription package. It's called TSB Plus, where you get all these podcasts ad-free, and that includes early access to the match ball and our subscriber-only podcast, The Extra Ball. And in this last seven days, we've spoken to Bradley Johnson. There's a great long chat on there that he uh, he shared with us. Um, he was in his hotel before they played Wickham and lost to Wickham. That's Blackburn I'm talking about. Oh, well, but he was nice to us. That was the main thing. Blackburn fans probably less pleased with the defeat at Wickham, but um, yeah, he meant he meant he was meant he was able to dedicate a bit of time to us, which I think is most important, really. Yeah, talking about his time at Leeds and um, Ken Bates, interesting character, very much so. That is all I'll say. Let's say as you would expect. The lesson is: don't let Ken Bates have your phone number. You also get a daily email with all the essential Leeds United news that Moscow pulls together for you on a daily basis. You say you, get- you say news. Well, what else? <laughs> There's some opinion in there. And you get full digital access to the magazine as well, so you can read every single issue from 2009 right up to the current issue, thesquareball.net forward slash plus, if you want to check that out. Well, this weekend marked the 21st anniversary of the murders in Istanbul. Not a lot we can say about that other than send our you know deepest sympathies to the two families, the Loftus and Spate families, and hope that this weekend hasn't been too difficult for you and know that we're never going to forget them. I think that's been reflected in the whole fan base, hasn't it, really? And it was nice to see the club with the flowers and um, making that effort to um, to show that it's not going to be forgotten. And into the news then, and the main news that we've had this week is financial. Are we rich beyond measure now we're in the Premier League? Doesn't no, we're poorer. Like, doesn't look like it, does it? No, I mean, these accounts are interesting. Um, let's not get too deep into these because... It all gets a little bit confusing when you go too deep, but we lost quite a lot of money, but it's not as bad as we think. That's the sort of headline takeaway I think we get, we get from this. Is that right? Yeah, because some of the money we lost was because we went up, because we had to pay a load of bonuses and we had to pay some money to the Premier League for some bullshit reason about their TV deal went down and even though we weren't there for it and didn't benefit from it in the first place, there was some weird rebate thing we had to pay on that. I say, well, seven million of that loss was related to TV money we hadn't yet even got. Yeah, which is not fair, I would say. But anyway, we've paid it. And it, these accounts don't cover the good bit, essentially, do they? 
they these are just the they're getting up from the championship bit. They don't cover all the Premier League TV money arriving. It's the first batch of TV money is in there. Uh, that thirty odd million, but it's sort of let's say subject to that seven million going the other way. It's uh, in the bank rather than in the profit and loss, isn't it? Is that how it's treated? Is it like cash in the bank? That I believe so. I think it's shown there is thirty million pounds sitting in the bank, and that's where it came from. But it doesn't factor into us losing the the sixty four million. It's such a strange number. I'm sure that's like Peter Ridsdale level of losses. That's where when we posted up a sixty million pound loss in those days. That's when it's like, ah. Well, the club's gone. That's that's going to be the end of us fairly soon. And that was quite accurate. Whereas now, as long as you're in the Premier League, you can do stuff like that and just go, ah, fine. I think yeah. we've said this before. There's another 64 million. See if we care. Because we were the first to do it. Essentially, there was a big panic about it. But then within a few years, everyone was in debt and it was fine. And the Glazers were buying Man United and sticking 500 million pounds of debt on their books. And everyone went, yeah, but that's all right. Don't there's, worry about it. There's so much money in the Premier League now that these kind of, Losses are almost feel irrelevant because you just get it all back from the the TV deal. It's changed a lot from when we were swimming because around the same time as us, there was Man City and they were pushing the boat out for Rubinho and then that's put them into loads of danger and Ken Bates had taken Chelsea to the brink before Abramovich turned up. The only problems you hear about now is scum where the Glazers are taking out massive fees and paying back the, themselves the money that they've that they used to buy the club and similar looks like it's happening at Burnley and then Newcastle, they just want rid of Mike Ashley. The rest of the Premier League, you don't hear a lot of people going, well, this club's in danger. It's all, which is where we kind of uh, have come from, the championship where the numbers are still ridiculous it's because... terrifying. The um, What's been said about our losses and the way that we, we put everything on promotion last season, um, with the big thing being the wage to turnover calculation, which basically means for every £100 we took, we ended up spending £145 on wages, and that's 45 quid that we didn't have. £40 of that approximately for, for every 100 turned out to be the bonuses. So if you took out the bonuses, we were on at about 104%. So for every £100 we took in, we gave £104 to the players and staff, which sounds a lot when you go from... The sweet spot is around 70%. You want to be spending 70% of your income on wages and not go over that because you start getting into trouble. So if you're at 100%, every penny that comes in is going out to players and staff. You start to panic until you look at the rest of the championship where Sheffield... It's an absolute car crash, isn't it? Even at 144%, so without stripping out the bonuses, we're mid-table in the championship for wage to turnover between Nottingham Forest and Birmingham City, both... Basket cases. Sheffield United, when they went up 200, well, 195%, but basically they were spending twice as much as they took in on wages. But then the interesting ones are Reading, who are 194% still there. Brentford, 186% still there. Wigan, 168%, absolute crashed and burned. Preston, 163, they're still there. Borough, 160. The only clubs who aren't spending more than they take in on wages a Stoke who get parachute payments Swansea did they have parachute payments they must have run out by now QPR West Brom who did have parachute payments and Rotherham who just don't have any money so the rest of the division was spending way way more than it actually had to try and get out and there's an argument that says us going to 104% before bonuses actually still quite 
quite reserved. But it's underpinned by the revenue that we've generated, which is 54.2 million quid, which is absolutely phenomenal given that that factors in a large um, portion of COVID. There's what, I think it's two and a half million pounds they've mitigated for in terms of losses. So you're actually looking at somewhere about 56, 57 million quid in turnover, which is what Villa did when they were in the championship last with parachute payments. So it goes to show what a robust business uh, it actually is. And talking about the championship, did you see the news that I think it's 10 clubs are currently under transfer embargo? Obviously the window is not open and the thinking is that they get it out of the way now, hopefully with a bit uh, a view to being able to trade again in the summer. I mean, I suppose I would gamble as well. You could see it as being slightly more justifiable because if you know, like Reading are right at the top of that list, if Reading gets the Premier League, they're still just Reading, aren't they? They're just Reading in the Premier League, whereas we've seen Leeds in the Premier League is a different thing. People are really interested in us. Well, we're already worth 300-odd million, are we, or something like that? 250 yeah. million? And I mean, you look at the work that, you can see it in the commercial revenue as well, the potential that is there, because it's gone from, the low point was 11.3 million 2015 last year, 30 million quid. Like there's the growth there in all sorts of areas for Leeds that I don't think there would be. Like I, I wouldn't have thought, even at our lowest point, we were probably selling more shirts than Reading and Sheffield United and these te- other teams who were trying to get up. So the potential is there for Leeds and it, it made the gamble more worthwhile and it makes you almost look at the years of Bates where we were spending like 50% of turnover on wages and you think, what were we doing? We were just dicking around, not trying to be a football club at that point, weren't we? It was it was running it as a business and saying, well, even if we're shit, we will still sell £10 million of, of commercial stuff and that'll be fine because there's nothing going out the door again. I mean, the major factor here as well is, let's take out the 20 million quid that was paid out for promotion bonuses and you've suddenly got losses then of what? In the mid 40 millions, then 7 million quid of that um, TV money you take out as well because we wouldn't have got it in the first place. So you're back down into the 30 millions and we know the club were looking at bids of 25 million for Calvin Phillips. Sell him. I mean, it's a horrible thought, but if we hadn't gone up, we knew, I think, that he would have had to be sold. But that then balances the books, doesn't it? And this is how championship clubs manage to keep their heads above water. But it's how Brentford are doing it. I mean, they're, they're spending a fortune on, on wages, but each summer they sell a player or two and everything's fine again. And when they blow it again this year, Ivan Tony will probably go, uh, well, whatever. Think it, but it works for them. If they've got a, they shit, have a model shit, in place that... Shit. Yeah, I suppose it is. But well, again, Brentford are a team, though, that if they did get up, they'd still probably have that model in place, London more or Lees. less. London FC, that's where the value is, they'll be Fulham. It's the championship. We had this conversation with about Radrizzani's approach, and I think it's the only sensible one there seems to be for a team that doesn't have parachute payments in the championship is Radrizzani's idea of setting himself a time limit and a loss limit of I'll give it up to five years to try and get out and I will lose this much money in the process and if I don't do it by that time I'm out whereas other clubs like Reading seem to take on this attitude of just we'll just keep on going and we'll just keep on burning more and more money and then one day hopefully we'll get lucky that strategy has turned out to be exactly exactly the right one and it's an interesting you mentioned Bates there is comparing it to Chilino who Chilino was always he basically bought a load of hassle. That's what he said before he'd even completed the deal, that phone call where he said, I, I don't even want to buy it no more. He was saying on that phone call, I hope the Football League don't let me take over because I'm just taking over a load of shit that I don't know how to cope with. <laughs> and his attitude was to cut everything back. And he got us into the mindset where there were a lot of fans who looked at Neil Redfern putting the cones out before a game and saying, well, why does he need an assistant? He's fine on his own. Why does he need an, an assistant manager? That's ridiculous. Why does the pool need water in it? 
Can't they just pretend? <laughs> exactly. All this stuff was the approach that has rightly been taken since and was initially very expensive was spend money to run it properly and you will get that money back even before you leave the championship. So those figures on the revenue without parachute payments being the best that has been in the championship is real testament to the potential that was there at Leeds all that time. If you didn't put the money into building a hotel, if you didn't, if you weren't GFH, you'd, I mean, who even, knew? well, we know what they wanted. And then if you weren't Gelino, who just had no idea of how to maximise the thing that he had, could only, the only credit I will give Cellino is that he, he kept the club open long enough to sell it to somebody who could then run it. It would have been very easily under Cellino for it to close. And when he talked about, you know, I work every day, I never sleep. Well, you work every afternoon, a couple of hours, and then go back off with Terry. But he did, the, he did what was required to stop it from burning to the ground. That's always Cellino's achievement at Leeds. But then it's putting the money in, getting the value out, and investing in what will be a, a big chunk of those um, those wages and the bonuses be elsewhere in this team. What these figures do do is is flesh out what Angus Kinnear was talking about to us when we spoke to him in July about the third year being in the Premier League is the one where you start to really reap the rewards of being there and feel the benefits because essentially we're on the hook for fifty three million quid at the minute. There's that thirty five million pounds bonuses for staying up uh, and then another 18 million in transfer add-ons for presumably staying up so you, you imagine they would all fall off for the third year or certainly be significantly reduced and then that's when we get relegated <laughs> nobody's motivated anymore <laughs> the land of milk and honey then uh, then arrives i do wonder if the club's policy on things may shift a little bit having seen this season go well because it's not been a close shave this year and they've seen this sort of demand for Leeds United. I do wonder if this whole thing of like, we'll wait, we'll wait till we've been in the Premier League a couple of years before we do the West Stand stuff. I do wonder if behind the scenes they're thinking, nah, fuck it, let's build a West Stand now. I mean, I you, Angus did say it's a sort of three or four year process and your first year is likely to be taken up by planning. So I imagine that's going to happen across this year. It, surely it's going to do, especially with the 49ers on board. If you get planning permission, you then get three or five years to build depending on the, the project. So the time it takes to get that, you may as well get that started. And I'm sure... Um, staying in the division is probably the trigger for, right, we start working towards that now because it doesn't mean you then have to put the spade in the ground tomorrow. You still have a, a window of time. It's the same with the floodlights. You know, we had the permission for the floodlights last year, but we didn't have to put, you know, we had, it meant you can put them up in the next two or three years. So, yeah, you'd think that that process, I'm sure that conversation probably goes on at Leeds where they're like, we want to be careful, but also we want to do it now because you would, you know, that the more you can take in the for commercial revenue, for match day revenue, like Spurs do, that's a big area where we can grow. And what we've done this season that will help, those 35 million bonuses, I wonder how much they depend on, like, because they'll have put in the maximum. And I'm sure there may be some things in there that, like, if we got into the Champions League this season, we would owe Chesterfield some money because Liam Cooper's contract said if he plays in a in a European match, we owe you. So they're the, the maximum. And then, so we can probably assume they're going to be a little bit lower because we won't we won't win the league and then the higher we do finish the more prize money we get that offsets that so though that 53 million will be somewhere in the middle their budget though has been finished 17th and is the the worst case scenario and then also paying that 53 million is the worst case so it will be it's contingencies contingencies rather than hard and fast figures yeah and yeah. We've, we've come out we will come out at the end of this season better I don't know about expectations. The, the old rule is um, 
better than expected, but not as good as we hoped. So they expected 17th, but they probably hoped first. So we're, we're in the middle, but um, there'll be a little bit more room to, uh, to wiggle with what's happened this season. And that means we can sign Rodrigo de Paul probably twice. It does mean that we, our squad is very lean. When you look at, I mean, our bench on the weekend was relatively strong, but generally speaking, you look at Premier League benches and there are people on there who you think, well, they're probably on like 80, 90, 120 grand a week or something. Whereas you look at ours and you see Ian Paveda and people like that and you think, well, I'm sure they're on good money. Generally speaking, our the cost of our squad will be pretty low in the Premier League. I know in the Championship it was relatively high, but it'll be more or less one of the lowest in the league, I would imagine. And I think that's probably one of the drivers behind the questions being asked around the likes of Tyler Roberts. Because he's got a year left on his contract, the question now is, well, do we want to put him on a £50,000, £60,000 a week contract? Or is now the time to move a player like that on? And that's no detriment to him. It's just about whether they want to commit that scale of finance to a player, they need to then make a decision. Is he going to make it? Is he not? Because if he's not, then suddenly you're stuck with a player who's quite hard to offload because of his massive wages. I don't think he's going to get a 50 grand contract though, is he? Because I don't think he'd get that elsewhere. But like when um, numbers were being banded around for, let's say, I think it was, uh, is it Andre Gray who's at Watford? And we were supposed to be in for him on loan at one yeah, point. Yeah, he was on we? 50 grand. Yeah, mm. or, or it was even up to 70, wasn't it? Or something wild like that. And it just goes to show how insane the whole division has got in that regard. But well, mind you, 49ers are good for salary control, aren't they? That's where um, players like Tyler may have some value, though. And I know there's still the, the school. I've seen tweets in the first 10 minutes of the game on Saturday saying, not good enough, get rid. He's just about to set up a goal. Let's chill. But players already in the squad... I suspect, are cheaper to give them a pay rise than to go and sign a replacement who will then need signing on fee. The wages compared to the club that they they might be at, so, you know, the Andre Gray, what they might be on. We might not have to go to that level with a player who is already here and who is adequate. And the the other argument, the the kind of more sober one about Tyler Roberts is, is he good enough for a team that's pushing for top six? And I kind of think, well, are we pushing for top? Six, is that maybe still a little bit too far on the horizon? Or if we had a Tyler Roberts in reserve for the next three seasons and we put a player in the first team using the money that we save by giving him a new contract, does that have more impact on our first team that would get us further up the table than having a strong player in in reserve? I think there's kind of, there's a, a balance there. And I think the way that Tyler Roberts has been playing the last few games makes him look, um, definitely top half Premier League. I think we'll find out more about him in the next three matches against considerably more difficult opposition than Heckenbottoms, Sheffield United. But you're right. I think the base that we're starting from, if these players, which is essentially a championship squad, can be top half of the Premier League at this price. And as um, Graham Smith pointed out, when Robin Cott came on at the end of the game against Sheffield United, that's the first time our four summer signings have all been on the pitch at once. So we've really not had the value out of last summer yet. I mean, it's Bielsa's influence, isn't it? Where we're getting so much more out of a low-value squad. One day he will go and everything will suddenly become much more expensive. Catch up with Phil Hayes' Sheffield United reaction on The Athletic this week. He's also done a bit, Phil, on um, whether we're going to be... I think the words he's used are play the kids and put Eddie Gray in charge. That's what we say, isn't it? Um, Joe Gelhart, would you like to see Gelhart at some point this season? Just even if it's just a bit of a run out game or two towards the end. Yeah, of course I would. We won't, we won't of course. But um, yeah, I would like to. 
Well, the chances of that, Phil examines that this week on The Athletic, and you can sign up for it right now at theathletic.com forward slash the square ball. One pound a month is the offer there. We'll be doing the Phil Hay show as well in the next couple of days, and we'll get Phil's take on the finances and all that. Theathletic.com forward slash the square ball. We spoke about finances there in part one. Merchandise was one of the areas where Leeds United succeed. 15 million quid a year, and they could probably sell more if we had enough stock and the online shop wasn't so utterly terrible. Um, but hopefully they're going to be working on that going forward. I don't imagine the um, the 49ers will stand for a shop that's running on HTML1 or whatever it is uh, for too much longer. At least it is open now 24 hours. That's something that's come on in the last three seasons. It used to... What? Um, yeah, the online shop was like a nine to five. For, was for it? a long time yeah it shut at night because <laughs> the man wasn't there to press the button I can't decide if he's taking the piss or not is that genuine no it was genuine yeah the, our online shop used to be closed outside of <laughs> really tapping after dark in, really tapping into the United States market well is that true yeah someone <laughs> would just turn off the computer in the club shop and then the website and just <laughs> office hours yeah just going to the wall <laughs> oh bless him sensation we really have come a long way in a short period of time that's extraordinary <laughs> We're talking about kits because we've seen the leaks this week. I mean, you know, take it with a pinch of salt and all that always. But um, Footy Headlines the, is the website that's doing these leaks. And the, the lead shirts, for context, have been leaked alongside a lot of other Adidas shirts that are doing the rounds at the minute, uh, including Man United and Arsenal. And they generally, by and large, get it on the money. Up to this point, we've seen the uh, alleged new home shirt, which they've gone for white again. Good news. <laughs> Pleased with that? Yeah. I mean, I make this joke every single year, so just indulge me for a second. I mean, they've not changed much ever. I mean, this is the thing. If they are going for a traditional, air quotes, um, home kit, then what can you do with a, with a white shirt and, you know, two other accent colours that are either blue or yellow? You pop one of them on you as your Adidas stripes, don't you? It's the eternal quandary for Adidas who tend to make, they tend to make unspectacular shirts by and large. It looks as if they've changed the blue three stripes on the shoulders to yellow ones and I guess that means next season's home kit is going to be the same shirt again with, with blue and yellow stripes and then they'll have to come up with something else after that but well maybe year three they go they return to blue stripes mm. and maybe put a yellow accent on the uh, on the sleeve trim or something wild like that we are the absolute Goldilocks when it comes to um, the home shirt because it's it's got to be just the right amount of, of blue and yellow the the Enterprise Macron kit with the the tyre track up the front the embassy cigarette packet awful wrong too much but then the other macron one that we got promoted in from league one that we won last day and then in the championship where there was nothing on it it was just white there was a lot of people saying well i could do with a little bit of just a little bit of yellow and blue on that one and certainly the the adidas one so far last year i felt you know it just needs that it just needs a little bit of yellow thread somewhere but then if they'd done if they'd done too much if it had been another stripe somewhere whoa whoa whoa, whoa. It's a white shirt. Don't go too far. And getting it right is very um, difficult. And I'm not surprised if this is accurate. Playing it safe again and just go pick yellow, stick that on a white shirt. We yep. could start in our merch store selling little yellow stripes. <laughs> you just people can stick stitch them on. over the top. The blue seems to be slightly deeper if the leak is to be believed, which may mean that they are using the Premier League's navy blue numbers on the back rather than black. I'd be up for that. Because you can't use, there's no royal blue set of numbers. There are five different colours you're allowed to use. I think it's red, navy, black, white, and yellow. Um, so maybe they'll use navy numbers because it'll be consistent with the sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, that's all I've got to say on the matter. Probably 
a greater talking point. Again, it's only a, a smaller leak is this one, is the Lilac Away kit, or third rather. It appears we're getting a sort of a, a lilac-y accented by a darker purple third kit, if this leak is correct. People will hate it. Yeah, you know, it's fine. Palermo's kit looks quite nice. That's kind of pink, isn't it, rather than lilac or Fiorentina. I think on balance, most people seem to quite like this. It's not a long way away from white. It looks as near to white as the kits did in the first series of the Amazon documentary, when everything everything looked very cold and blue. It's kind of, it's that shade of white, isn't it? Do we face the QPR problem of being too similar to the home kit? Mind you, we don't really play against any teams that are uh, that are playing in all white, are we? I do wonder what this means for the away kit, though, the second kit. Will that be a darker affair? Maybe does this hint towards a dark blue? Or do we get the, the much-fabled yellow away kit? If people keep asking for it, we're never going to get it. But Angus did say last year, going back to that one again, we go for a home kit that's going to be largely traditional. We'll go for one away kit that'll please the traditionalists. So we've got the blue and green one this year. And then they'll go for something a bit out there. Assuming this is the a bit out there kit, then are we going to? We might just get the yellow. I don't think you could do yellow. I mean, I found a, a lilac trefoil crew sweat made by Adidas that looks nice. I think that's good. I think lilac kits will look good. But then a next to a white kit on the photo shoot, that will be fine. But you stick a yellow one in there and suddenly I feel sick. I don't think that, that lilac and yellow are particularly good bedfellows. No, I don't think they'll, they'll look good together on the, the photos. So. It's probably the the season for a blue one. Let's just be grateful there isn't going to be a Macron man anywhere on it. That's true. I mean, this is the, the point, isn't it, about Adidas, is they are pretty functional when it comes to shirt designs. You generally get stuff that's off a template unless you're one of their absolute top-tier uh, deals. I do look at the stuff they do for Boca Juniors with a bit of envy. And also some of the stuff they've done for Arsenal has been really nice as well, like the, the kind of retro tracksuits and stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why they've... I mean, maybe it's just the way that the deal's structured, because I know that the rumour seems to be that Leeds took a smaller amount in terms of lump payment, but will take more per shirt sale. So whether that disqualifies them from getting all the extra you know, bells and whistles on top, I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. I hope they just can build on it next year, because it is some of the stuff in the club shop as well, it is just generic Adidas Sports Direct stuff they seem to be selling as well. It's just a T-shirt with an Adidas badge on, and it's like, well... It's not really a Leeds thing, is it? That's just some Adidas shirts you've stuck in the club shop. But first year in the Premier League and all that. Context is pandemic as well. Th- that maybe that was a, you know, affected the amount of stuff that we could have, have available. Because as Angus Kinnear said, they didn't know when they ordered these shirts whether we were going to go up. The first year Adidas shirts, sorry, whether we were going to go up or not, which has been the root cause of the stocking issues. And we've not known as well whether the shops will be open because that makes a difference. No, lots of people buy things online, but also the ability to actually go into a shop and and buy something and the number of people who buy merch at games like that's all been out the window as well so trying to control for stock as well when you think we were supposed to be coming back into matches before Christmas when a few people got in so you maybe you don't want to over order so it has been difficult to work out but fucking just give us everything Boca Juniors have and I don't see why we shouldn't have it I do wonder if there is a tendency to try and overcomplicate it sometimes when they decide what kits to do Try. I know they need to sell to new markets and all that and be interesting, but... There's a relatively simple, you know, you can find a classic Adidas top that would look good done for Leeds very easily. And then you imagine sending that to whatever rapper Radrizzani is picking out the phone book next and whichever ice hockey player he decides needs to have a delivery of, of Leeds kits. You can imagine they're getting some like cool vintage Adidas stuff with a Leeds badge on it. It's different and I think it would help and it would fly off the shelves. 
quick word, if we may, about Adam Forshaw, Leeds United's forgotten man. He's uh, not forgotten. For some reason, he came up in the post-match press conference, and I don't know who or why decided that was the moment to ask about Adam Forshaw, but here we are. Not fit, though, is he? He's in a positive moment for 10 days, <laughs> whatever that means. Sounds like he's had a nice holiday, does that? Yeah, but we have to measure it in months, is what Bielsa says. So, yeah, he's not going to be back anytime soon, by the looks of it anyway. And he'll want to play a lot of under-23s games only before he comes back. Well, yeah, that's the other thing that Bielsa said. He's healthy and has two months left of the season to prove that he is finally over his issues. And um, it would be, I suppose, the ideal thing is if he gets a couple, let's not be too optimistic, half an under-23s game before the end of the season. If he kicks a football. It would be great. Well, I, don't, I mean, it depends. Competitively. He was spotted in training, wasn't he? So he, he has been hanging around his mates again, which must be a big... Maybe that's the positive moment for 10 days that he's actually been allowed to hang out with the players. Because it's like all of us in the next 10 days when lockdown starts to end in the UK. Well, that's good to see your mates again. It's not just being in the treatment room for two years, having all that sorted. The way that the COVID protocols will be working is he'll have to be separated because he's not training with them. He said that when he did that famous, um, oh, we're going to walk promotion. What was his exact? Words that what, what kind of piss it, lah? Something like that. But he's he was being asked in that interview, it's the leads that podcast where he was saying um, that such and such a player it's, was looking really good. And it's like, Oh, have you seen him? He's like, Well, no, I can't go near him. And he just he'd he basically shouted across the car park to Stuart Dallas. And Stuart Dallas had shouted back, he's like, Oh yeah, Tyler's looking really good in training. So that's the only way Adam Forshaw knows what was happening in first team training because of how separated he was through his injury and also the the COVID problems of people having to train in groups. So if he spent 10 days back with the squad again in the barn, doing normal, just running about, that's great for him. And then, yeah, it's try and get a, a bit of a game before the end of the season and then pre-season. And he'll be like a new signing competing for that shirt with Rodrigo de Paul. Neck on the line time. Will he make the squad for the Man City game on Saturday? Could to say no. <sighs> Moscow? No. 
champions elect. They've won 26 out of the last 27 games. Uh, I do wonder if they're the most <laughs> informed team Leeds United has ever faced. Will we've ever played a team who've won 26 out of their previous 27 games? We're normally the team that's won 26 out of 27 back in the day. But yeah, seems unlikely we're going to win. Well, you said that when we drew with them 1-1 earlier in the season. That seemed unlikely. And it was the best game that has ever happened in the Premier League. So Steve Nicholl didn't think so. If you like that sort of thing, it was. <laughs> the thing in our favour here is the Champions League. Because they're playing Dortmund this evening as we uh, record this. We're recording on Tuesday, uh, lunchtime. Come on, Erling. Kick a couple. They've got the second leg of that after they play us. So they've got to have one eye on that. They've got to. I mean, it's only natural. Harlan's got to have watched that um, Bordock tackle on Roberts. Go and do a few of those. I mean, they did have one eye on the first leg of the Dortmund game this weekend, which meant they drafted in Aguero and Mares from their reserves. Yeah, but I mean, Aguero's basically given up now because he's leaving... Mahrez, he's not arsed, is he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had to rely on uh, Benjamin Mendy for a goal. That's how poor they were. But that's our hope. There is hope. There's always hope. Apart from when you look at the internet com, when they have them down as having no significant weaknesses at all, but they're dead good at lots of other stuff. I mean, John Stones does play for them, so they do have a significant weakness. I mean, they're good at shooting from direct free kicks. That's they're De Bruyne. Good at finishing scoring chances. That's Aguero. They're good at creating chances through individual that's skill. That's De Bruyne. They're good at defending set pieces. That's the other one that's not John Stones. Creating scoring chances. De Bruyne. Attacking down the wings. De Bruyne. Protecting the lead. Goalkeeper. So, you know, it's a, th- a four player team. De Bruyne's pass against Leicester. I mean, come on. It wasn't as good as Tyler Roberts, was no, it? No, it wasn't. But so the, those two, I like to think Tyler Roberts will be uh, giving De Bruyne some pointers. On Saturday, showing him on the verge of doing a Welsh accent, but I don't. Don't. It's no. Uh, no. It's wise giving him some uh, some pointers. The young John Charles there. What's nice is we're going into this game with no pressure. We're fine. We can have a go at them. We saw earlier in the season if we don't show them too much respect and we do have a bit of a go at them that we've got a chance. We give ourselves a chance. Whereas there's going to be so many teams in this division who would go into this and just think, nah, nothing from this. I mean, Bielsa thinks we're still not safe, doesn't he? he was not, he's not willing to commit to it yet. He still thinks Fulham might win six of their last eight games or whatever stupid thing they need to do. But yes, we are safe and it might be fun. You never know. The thing is, if it goes as the first sort of 10 minutes against Man City did, and if it was like that for the whole game, it'd be quite hard to watch. Because I remember that we came into it after a, a while, didn't we, in that first game, but they were basically just battering us in the opening stages of it well that's the interesting thing isn't it we've, we've seen a few games across this season and I would say Liverpool will be similar it's where we benchmark ourselves and we see the progress we've made over a number of months like Leicester was the same that first game against Leicester when they caught us on the hop a little bit at Ellen Road but you contrast that with the return game down at the Crisp Bowl and we've come a long way so hopefully if we can demonstrate some of that progress in this game we give ourselves a chance a chance I wouldn't say a good, very good chance come on let's beat them <laughs> I mean, it'd be brilliant if we did. They've got to lose sometime. They have, and Scum beat them, didn't they? That was the one, the one blip on their twenty-seven game winning streak was losing to Scum, and they're not that good. Apart from when they beat us six. <laughs> <laughs> Struggling to talk myself into anything in this game, I've got to, got to be honest. But don't ask yourself why, Michael. Ask yourself why not. Because um, of all their good players, or is that not what you meant? I think that's what I meant. I don't know. <laughs> it sounded quite pithy, but I don't really know what I meant. Okay. I'd probably take a one-all draw again. That'd be all right. That would be excellent. I mean, they are ridiculously good. And it's that's what we're, we're dealing with. But then 
they were when we played them at the start of the season and so were Liverpool. Liverpool, when we played them on the opening day, were still good. They still had um, Van Dijk. So everything hadn't fallen to pieces as it has now. So we lived with both of them at the start of the season when they were both teams were at their best. I don't think we've got any worse. So what the hell? Did we have Rafinha the first time round? No. Against Man City. We didn't, did we? No, we did not. So there's the Rafinha factor. So there's your hat trick right now. Predictions for this then? Manchester City 6, Leeds United 3. And I'll, I'll be all right with that, to be honest. That'd be fun to watch. 2-2. <laughs> two, two. I'll go for another 1-1. One, one. With restrictions on coronavirus starting to fall away in the UK, you might be planning to move house. If you are, give our podcast partners, Levi Solicitors, a shout about your conveyancing and make sure you look into wills as well as part and parcel of that. If you do own property, you need to get yourself a will sorted. And you can always get a 10% discount if you go through us. Have a look on the website, levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. And we're not just saying this, we have a specialist team in place at Levi's and the levels of service are absolutely outstanding. So get that 10% discount and get your conveyancing sorted at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Let's get into heroes and villains now then. The good and the bad from the last seven days. First, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. And again, we open this up to our TSB Plus subscribers who drop us emails and tell us who they want to nominate alongside our nominations. So, who have we got? Baldock, obviously. Yeah, nominated by by many people and indeed us. I mean, do we want to nominate him first of all for leaving a dint in our pitch for his aggressive headbutt of it? The pitch was all right, actually. Imagine if he'd been well. I think actually it was it was softer, wasn't it? A few months ago, his his head would have probably been perfectly cushioned on the the squelchy surface of a while back, but it had firmed up a bit. But frankly, he deserved a bash on the head for what he tried to do to Tyler Roberts. If he'd have done that, and Tyler Roberts' legs had been in pieces on the pitch, you would have said a that a bit of concussion would have been the least he could have deserved. Are we nominating Peter Walton as well? Yes. What a fucking surprise that he says that the referee was right. The challenge itself, yes, it's high, but it's exaggerated with his slipping movement. And I think he actually just goes through there. I'd give the player the benefit of the doubt. Whereas I think the um, the other versions, Sky, I don't know if it was Dermot Gallagher, maybe? They basically just said straight red. No doubt. 100%. Get that clown off our pitch and remove the grass from his hair. Almost as an extension of that incident as well was Alan Shearer and... On, who was on Amazon and on Match of the Day, Ken Taylor nominated him for um, being more worried about, about his head than he was about Tyler's legs. It was just not talked about, was it? Everyone just went, yeah, the concussion protocol seems to have gone a bit wrong here. They should have gone off. Maybe they need to look at that again. It's like, look at the tackle. Well, yeah, the, the halftime analysis on Amazon, they went mad for the concussion angle on it. They went to a break and then came back. And I imagine somebody had said during the break, hey, listen, you probably need to talk about this because they're going batshit mental about it online. <laughs> And then they, and then also, they, then they fucking look at it. Yeah, then they had a word about it. But but the word was quite concise, and in some ways, is there's nothing to say because they just yeah, you probably should have gone. I did think with that decision was that VAR has not really taken away the whole moaning at a ref thing, has it? Because if we'd have made more fuss about that tackle, the ref would have probably made VAR check it. The thing is, they check everything, they watch everything. The referees, but if someone's making a big those, fuss, yeah, then, then they're more likely to go, oh, okay, people seem annoyed about this. Let's yeah, watch can you it tell back. Me? It shouldn't even have got to that point. Gillet sitting in his booth at Stockley Park as the as the flames gather in a bin outside, should have just looked at it and gone, get on the mic, radio to what's his face and say, send him off. Or just have a look at it. I, thought, I thought you were going to do an Australian accent then and I was disappointed. Tell him to rack off. 
Get that galar off the pitch. Yeah, go to the pitch side monitor and have a second look at this. Don't even you? fucking bother with that. Get that flaming galar off the pitch. And if what's his face, the referee did try to go over and, and look, tell him no. Get in his ear, say no. Don't even look. Just take my word for it. Show him the red card. Peter Walton will back you. Be brave. On to other nominations. What's Heckingbottom in here for specifically then? Let's think of some um, some transgressions. For his delusions? Being boring is what I want him in for. Because I watched press conference stuff with him. I watched then to try and find footage of him during a coaching session saying whip ball and out ball, which he didn't. But there's an hour-long coaching session with Paul Heckingbottom. I, that's, as you can imagine, I skipped through it because... Which you imagine the players do as well. Because it's oh. an hour-long coaching session with Paul Heckingbottom. And it's basically <sighs> just him going... still going. Good decision! Good decision! That's all he says. They're just passing in little triangles is all they're doing. But he seems to be talking about it like he's reinvented football. Your body shape. Get your body shape right. You've got to receive it with, with your body shape right so you can pass it again. It's like, when you compare the introductory press conferences, Hacking Bottom's first at Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa's first at Leeds, if you take out the translations, Hacking Bottom's was longer. He's a man with a lot to say. Or not a lot to say. A lot of words. And also he deserves a nomination for um, the comment about us having to make subs because we couldn't live with them. Yeah, that's what I mean, it's delusion. So that's, yeah, David Good um, flagged that up. And uh, as an extension of that, Paul Eaton was saying they were uh, thinking they were in control of the second half. And also he, he doesn't like the fact that they were sneaky, dirty, fouling bastards. That's what Paul says. His words? They weren't even being that sneaky with it. The referee was just allowing them to do it. I mean, there was, Paul McBurney, in fact, does receive a nomination, but he trying to chop Llorente twice from the opening goal as well. The referee completely ignored that. There were, Probably two yellow card chat tackles that he did at that point. Again, allowed to completely get away with them. Yeah, Dan Ogden just flags up McBurney, says those fucking socks. <laughs> He's an absolute lumper. Fuck off back to Power League. <laughs> he does look like a complete tramp, doesn't he, on the pitch? I've just been having a little browse through. People forget about Heckingbottom at Hibs, but here we go. He's identified the style of play that will take the Easter Road Club to the next level next season. I want pace and power in team. I want athleticism. Want players who are good one against one just to get more control over every aspect of the game. I want to have more control at game with the ball, without the ball, and good <laughs> players one v one. And what happened uh, at the start of that season? Next season will be his first full season in charge. He won the first game, and they didn't win again. The next ten were lost. I think I think it was eight lost, two drawn, and he got sacked. Whip ball without ball. <laughs> and the thing is, when you actually break down what he said there, it's nothing, isn't it? Because he's saying he wants people who are quick and good. And who are good with the ball and without the ball. And that, in doing so, you've described the entire game of football. That's what I was saying. It's like it's nonsense management speak. It's like blue sky thinking, thinking outside the box. It just want, doesn't mean anything. I want defenders who can tackle, midfielders who can pass, and strikers who can score. And That's so, what I'm looking for. I, if, I, if I find a midfielder who's really shit at passing it, then they won't be in my team. Because he won't be good with ball. Because he won't be good with ball. And for anyone who have avoided my match report after the Sheffield United game, where I went through some of Hackingbottom's stuff, when he was talking about us last, uh, when he was here, he was all saying, oh, what what we need is that winning mentality and we need to get that into into squad. Not As this it, season, though. Well, somebody said, how, like, is, how do you do that? Is it attitude? He says, yeah, yeah, it's recruitment. That's all All he had up his sleeve was to buy some players who would be better at doing stuff with ball and without ball. <laughs> uh, Kit actually flags up Paul Heckingbottom's time at Leeds for inflicting six months of shit on us. It's remarkable how different he and Bielsa are. And yet... They were both deemed ideal appointments at the time. The other good one that I highlighted in, in the match report is how we talked about how um, 
everybody's got to be very clear about what we're doing going forward. I'm going to have the big arguments in the summer and we really need the fans on side. They're vital to drive this forward. And somebody asked him, said, so can you expand on what you're going to do next? He says, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to expand on that. No, because uh, <laughs> those thoughts are private to me. They're my opinions. How the fuck are we supposed to get behind you then? You daft. I'm not telling. Uh, I'm not telling Chairman what I want to either. Yeah. He's gonna, he can guess. I asked him to express an opinion. Well, that was it. He kept saying, he "said we're having all those conversations have got to be very clear behind the scenes, and I'm having them already. Got to be very clear, and we'll have more very clear conversations." And I think Victor Orton well, must have just decided. It, what is it that you want, Paul? Well, I want I want things. I, I want players who are good with ball and without ball. <laughs> it's, it, I've got the idea of him just running into uh, Victor Orton's office every day like Lassie. He's going like, what, what, what do you want? What is it? Little Jimmy stuck down the well? <laughs> no, he's, he's stuck without ball. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bikestrel, Victor. Bikestrel's dead. I mean, saying that Paul Hacking Bottom was deemed an ideal appointment at the time, he wasn't. We all sort of said, well, let's see was more or less the stance on Heckingbottom as I remember it. It was like, well, things haven't been going well with Christensen, have they? It probably can't be any worse. And it, then it kind of... It can well, improve it young players. And we had a lot of players who needed improving, we thought. You know, can he get more out of Tom Pierce, Paddy O'Connor, Bailey Peacock-Farrell, who he gave his debut to, and who else was around at that time? Ryan Edmondson, 16, gave him his debut. It's like, oh, well, you know, we'll bring these, bring these lads on. But then, no, that wasn't it. <laughs> it quickly became apparent that that was not going to work and we just had to scrap that whole Christiansen model and start again. Yeah, we willed him to succeed and I think we looked at his reported strengths rather than concentrating on the evident weaknesses that we later discovered. Even then, in retrospect, I mean, he got a lot of credit for taking over from little Lee Johnson at, at Barnsley and doing well with that squad. By the time he left, there were the signs there that it was it was starting to fall off a little bit. And the idea at the time was, well, they'd sold all those good players to, to Aston Villa, hadn't it? So a lot of the good players had gone, so maybe that's to blame. But then you look at Hibbs, where that's the only time when he's had a summer to work with a team. And they did they did quite well when he took over halfway through a season. It's all quite positive towards. And then you heard him saying, well, yeah, next season I'm going to put my stamp on this lot. And they were fucking awful. So you just it just starts to get this idea that he's actually not very good at this and he needs to stop doing it. And their under-23s are top of their league. They've had a great season with him in charge. So if he's good at teaching young players what to do with ball, without ball, then fine, he can keep doing that. I just don't think that the Premier League necessarily, what I said at the, the start or on propaganda about him telling Premier League footballers, ah, now you need to open your body out a little bit when you're trapping, but I fucking know how to play. Paul, give us some not, tactics. Paul, Paul that's not the information I need. From what we've seen of it, I'm not sure his coaching methods are any more advanced than mine. Other for strikers, kick it really hard in goal. Yeah, I'm well, looking for strikers who can kick it, kick it hard into net. I'm with, looking with at ball. I'm looking at Ollie. See if he can score some goals. McBurney, to go back to him, credit to his agent who seems to be managing to conjure some paper talk of a 15 million pound move to Wolves. How much would you pay for him? He's dreadful, isn't he? I think he's probably fine. Top he, end championship striker. Is he though? Don't know. He was a. In fact, did Hecky have him at Barnsley? In fact, he might have done. He yeah. was there. He was there at one point, wasn't he? Yeah. I think that did that factor into when we were supposedly sniffing him. We were going to reunite McBurney and Yadon with Hecky. <laughs> hey, we've had a mention for Yadon, which we'll come on to in uh, in just a second or two. But first of all, we need to pick a villain of the week. I just wanted to nominate the under twenty three fixture schedule as as well because I, I've quite enjoyed watching the under twenty three this year, and I, I was looking when the next game is. 
until the 16th of April. Nearly a month between games. That's not on, is it? It's like they don't care about Adam Forshaw at all, do they? Yeah, I quite like watching YouTube on a Monday lunchtime, watching Joe Gelhart and Greenwood and that lot. Don't do it. Play some friendlies or something so I can watch it. Villain of the week? Eki. 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 Right. Andy Hughes Hero of the Week, then nominations. Well, we'll mention Yadom right at the start. Andrew and Keithley, why? It just said Yadom <laughs> on the form. It asks the space to put why. He just put Yadom. Fine. That's okay. Chris Maybe w- he thinks it's pronounced Wyadom, like the Y bird, and we have to ask our own question about him. <laughs> Wyadom. Chris Wilder got a mention. Nick singled out Chris Wilder for leaving Sheffield United to give us the joy of hecky ball once again. It is quite funny for everything we've just you know said about him and given him the Villain of the Week award. It's funny, isn't it? It's a shit job he's got. <laughs> just stand there for for nine games while they, this team gets absolutely trounced. But maybe that's all he's worthy of. It's a shit, shit. job and he's doing a shit job of it. Yeah. <laughs> he's giving it all the all the effort and respect it deserves. Other blades. Yagelka, is that how it's pronounced? Y- yeah, apparently. Um, it's on Bryn Law's commentary and I trust Bryn, but ever, I mean, everybody else calls him Jagielka. Even his nickname Jags. is Jags, but Bryn has declared that it is Yagelka. So yeah. I'll go with it, Yagelka. You mentioned how old he was, and I did look back to having heard that clip of them talking about him scoring against Terry Venables, Leeds United in 2002. He was playing on the same team as Stuart McCall that day, and he's still playing now. And Stuart McCall is basically a pensioner, isn't he? So to have done all that, you've got to give him credit. I know he, I know he did kick it right into his, his own net, which is not ideal for a defender. I'm sure Heckingbottom will probably be pointing that out to him during the week. Whip ball, don't kick it into net. When you got ball at your feet, don't kick it in that goal, kick it in the other one. And I've been telling players all week and they, they, they just don't listen, some of them. But it, I mean, he'll have uh, put his longevity down to the, the fitness work that Neil Warnock did with him. This is a, the perfect grounding for any player's career. Yeah, they, I mean, the other players in that team, people like Paddy and Tongi, looked absolutely spent by the time they were about 30, didn't they? So I guess credit to Jagielka and the fact he got out of Sheffield fairly quickly to the fact that he's still playing now. But yeah, he did, he did a good service for us this week anyway. So Leeds players-wise, Dallas is nominated by Paul, Chris, Craig, Lee. Um, we've got noms for Rafinha for, uh, from Ashley, Jamie. Tyler Roberts, Adrian Longdon, Paul also singled him out. And Jackie Haradonna and Diego Urente, uh, Johnny Smith and Jimmo, respectively, for those two. Which of you, of the Leeds players, was your pick of the bunch then? It's hard to know with Dallas if he's now underrated or... Because we seem to talk about him being underrated so much that he's not underrated anymore because we're always talking about how great he is. Maybe he's hit that sweet spot where he's not underrated or overrated, he's just rated. He's just right. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, Paul did pose the question, like how Paul would we be without him in the team and how much is he now worth? It's kind of hard to say. I feel like he's worth about 30 million quid to us, but if we tried to sell him, we'd probably get about five, which is a strange thing to to say, but he's, yeah, he's brilliant. And even if he doesn't start every week next year, if we get some sort of expensive show pony in the middle in the number 10 shirt or whatever. He'll always end up playing though, because there'll, <laughs> there'll always be someone injured. That's there'll what be I a, mean. He's going he's gonna to play somewhere, isn't he? There'll be a right back or a left back injured, or he'll be in, moving into midfield, or he'll end up playing a holding midfield role or something instead, and he'll always be there, and he's, he's brilliant every week. I think Jackie deserves some credit as well. There was a moment in the first half when he was beaten there. Um, I think he had two on him, and he did two tricks to get past them and it was great and then Tyler's pass for the winning goal Jackie's touch on that it's just great the two things happened the pass and then the first touch and then what people always say Jackie lacks 
is then the the final ball, but that was perfect as well. All beautiful. And Diego, the final uh, ball went to their defender. Yeah, but Rafinha was right behind. Yeah, and he put it. Why did he pass it to him? Then? He put he put it in the corridor of uncertainty, which is where he's supposed to put it. And Diego Llorente is proving to be an entertaining player. Now he's in the the team and a uh, a cup winner at the weekend because Real Sociedad won. I think it was the Copa del Rey played at the weekend, and presumably he got a medal for that because it was last season's Copa del Rey. And somebody else who has left Real Sociedad, I heard mentioned they got a medal. He can show it to Kiko Casilla, can't he? I actually played played some games to win this one. <laughs> I like, as you've said, I think previously, Michael, there's just the right amount of madness in Diego Llorente. He's kind of just got enough of a, a little twinkle of uh, of craziness in his eyes. I think now he's a bit sharper as well. It's looking a little bit less mad because he's getting he's actually being more successful in the things he he does. There were points, I think, when he was first coming back into the team and he maybe wasn't quite fit enough or quite up to the pace of the team or the league or something where he'd occasionally do things and you'd be going, nope. Stop that. Don't do that anymore. Whereas when he's got Ollie McBurney just chasing him and trying to chop him down, he's he's obviously far better than him and he's able to just do what he wants. There's a funny aspect with that because he's done a couple of interviews where he said that all the time he was out injured and, you know, he's locked down so he can't do anything else much. He's been watching our games forensically, try, trying to learn how we play and get all that so that when he's ready to, to play again, he can come straight back into the team and just fit seamlessly in. And we saw him come straight into the team and look absolutely insane, running around with the ball all over the place, going absolutely mad. And I think maybe there's something there about how he uh, how he has tactically interpreted the way we play from video is not quite as sophisticated as how Marcelo Bielsa tactically interprets a game from video. He's done very well, you know, he's close. He's got the general idea, but it's only the real world has kind of had to readjust his expectations from that. It's, it's not... As in much like the video game. Get off the right wing, please, Diego. Go back to where you are supposed to be. That was great. I mean, we have a nomination for um, Alan McCoy for his co-commentary, but Peter Drury is as well in that. Even after his lies about the towns of West Yorkshire. It was like he'd forgotten he was commentating and he he was just sitting watching the game with Ali when Llorente turned up on the right wing because he just, as if he just turned to him and just went, is that Llorente? (laughs) It is is beautiful. That's... I like Peter Drury's commentary very much because I have fond memories of him on Radio Leeds when he was working for the BBC doing Adam Pope's job and he's managed to stick that all the way through. I thought his um, his explanations at the, the start of the game of the uh, tributes to Chris and Kevin and also with Peter Lorimer, you could tell it just had that little bit of extra knowledge because Peter Drury knew so much more about it and he didn't go over the top where it was like a kind of a, you know, like a, listening to a Leeds fan. He's not a Leeds fan, but it was just somebody who knew enough about it and is able to communicate that extra information that they have without going overboard. The opposite of I always compared to Jonathan Pierce, who will read out a stats book and it will be meaningless. He won't understand what they're on about. Peter Drury can say less, but communicate more. I think, it's very good. I think that was the thing with McCoy as well, because a few people pointed out he did get names wrong. But Ben was saying it's nice to hear a commentator who sounds like he actually liked football, which is just part of the joy of it, isn't it? It's, that, it's the same reason I quite like Ian Wright. Even oh, like a match of the day, he won't be the one who t- tries to make the most serious points, but you get the feeling he's actually enjoying it, and that's that's almost what I what I'd tune in yeah, for as much as anything. Exactly it. the fact that he sounded like he was enjoying himself. So when you hear somebody enjoying themselves, you enjoy yourself a bit more as well. Unlike but, unlike the desperate Dan Chinned professional <laughs> whinge bag Andy Hingecliffe, who just picks fault with every player struck team for 90 minutes. Yeah. Sometimes you can hear him spitting in disgust 
just because a player should have done something and he himself was never capable of when he was a mediocre footballer. And that's it. Yeah. I love Ben, by the way. Yeah, a lot of what Hinchcliffe does is is just chip away at everything forensically, whereas McCoy was just, it's a celebration of the game and I really enjoyed listening to him for that. He evidently enjoyed playing uh, and even reminisced about when Rangers played at Ellen Road and his experiences. And that's all you want to hear is somebody having a bloody good time. There's no point stopping a, a replay before you know a goal has been scored and drawing a box on and going, the defender should have been here because you know that's where the goal was scored from. Like, what's the point? It doesn't it doesn't show anything, does it? And he also didn't call him Marco Bielsa, which was a nice touch. So it was an interesting contrast. I, I watched, when I watched it back, I got different commentary and they had Diego Llorente's header from a corner when he uh, was defending it and he kind of headed it down towards the penalty spot. And whoever was on the co-coms on that one was like, oh, he's put that into a dangerous area. I'm not sure he should have put the ball there. Whereas I remember Ali McCoist on that one. I thought he was never going to shut up about it. Like Diego Llorente just heading a corner down into safety in the penalty area was like the best bit of football he had ever seen. And he's like, that's a great defensive header. Oh, look at where he's put that. that that's great. And just the fact he was enjoying it so much. And, you know, but I what, did wonder at the time whether it was the, the safest place to put it. But to take it as like, no, that worked. It was a great clearing header. Everything came off. Let's enjoy what happened there as compared to the other angle, which isn't necessarily wrong. We go, well, that was a bit dicey. That could have gone quite wrong. I think he should have headed it somewhere else. But then I, I get the feeling that the, the person on the, the other one was an actual defender, whereas Alan McCoy is probably looking at that <laughs> ball being nodded down in the penalty. I think, oh, that's a great defensive header because I would have come rushing in and pegged that right into the back of the net. And the other point is you could just spend all your time talking about controversy, which is what a lot of them do. Well, was it? Well, has he got that wrong? Is it? No, Ali McCoy's like just laughing about it. He embraces the chaos. And I think it's nice to kind of hear that rather than just constant chipping away at controversy. Get them on the Champions League final. Fuck Clive Tiltley and his whinging. Let's have Peter and Ali doing the Champions League final and it'll actually be some fun. Let's just mention Tyler Roberts, actually, because he did have a couple of nominations. And did we call them half assists or something on the weekend for the pass pass before the goal, anyway? passes. But yeah, he deserves more than he's had this year in terms of goals and assists and what have you. And there was also, he should have had an assist for the one where Bulldog nearly killed him. And it was a good save from Harrison. I don't think Jackie did too much wrong on that one, but that could have been easily. And there was one in the second half where he did a Pablo Hernandez-style chip into the penalty area towards the byline. I think it was towards Rafinha, or it might have been Rodrigo, but it was great. It was just, he's obviously not at that elite level, that superb level, but I think he's he wasn't doing those kind of chips five games ago when he first came, came in the team. And I think if he can stay in the team for the rest of the season, get through these three games against top clubs and just see what he can pull off to that standard, let's have a look at what kind of player we've got at the end of the season rather than Rather than starting every game with a tweet saying he needs to be got rid of. <laughs> um, the pitch is singled out for credit from Declan and John Crossland. It's improved state. Presumably by extension, we also include the ground staff and Mother Nature for that. That's kind of say the big glowing orb in the sky that um, I don't know if these people are from near Pontefract, so they've not seen it. And the clocks have changed, which means the grass doesn't have to get up as early does it it's got longer in the evening to grow which is nice for it mm. uh, LUFC Trust get a mention um, Nathaniel flags up the Gary Speed mural that is on Rails Field Mount in Bramley which is just off Stanningley Road if you want to pop around and, uh, and see that if you are in Leeds this is very nice I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that there's these things all around Leeds now you can do a little trail of them if you want and see all the, the tributes to I think because we didn't have anything good happening in the present 
it always felt like do if you're someone had suggested doing all these murals of good old players back in the sort of hacking bottom managing us days, it would have felt a bit like, oh, I don't want to think about that. It's almost too upsetting to think about how good we used to be. Whereas now it feels like we can embrace it all again. In the same way as Wilkinson wanted the the pictures of the, the good players taken down when he arrived, it feels like we've we've kind of got beyond that stage now of of having to stop living in the miserable present. We can kind of enjoy that and enjoy the past we've, again. We've found our soul again. And that's credit to the people who are in charge for allowing us to think like that again. Can you imagine if Warnock had taken us up and the Duck and Drake had a massive mural of Luke Varney up the side of it? <laughs> I was going to say, I thought you were going to say Warnock himself then. Well, that would that, have, that, that, that knows, would be somewhere, wouldn't that, it? That nose about eight feet tall bearing down on you. So I think we also have to uh, maybe retrospectively nominate all those people as heroes for not getting us promoted so that we didn't have to go through all this with them. Let's pick one then. Hero of the week. The Andy Hughes Hero of the Week. Yeah, Dom? Yeah, Dom. Why? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, think think how good Sheffield United are going to be next year when they get him. He's, he's doing all right as Yeah, Dom. He's ticking along at playing fullback for Reading. I'm sure he's doing had a good week, but... Ali McCoist for embracing Leeds. I mean, we've, you know, we've had such a... A difficult relationship with some of the commentators and pundits that we've uh, yeah. encountered this season, particularly on Amazon Prime, perhaps to uh, to hold up an example of how it should be done. What about Stuart Dallas? He feels like he's a strong candidate this week, though. Mm, just for being rated, for being as good as expected Everyone all the time. Stop going on about how good he is, honestly. <laughs> Sick of it. Him and his massive ego. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's as bad as Cristiano Ronaldo, isn't he, for sucking up all the glory, that kid. Craig Robertson did actually say, I can't believe it's the same Stewie I used to bemoan every time he was picked, stroke, brought on. So yeah, I suppose from that point of view, it's quite a turnaround. Maybe he deserves it. Go on then, if you want to give it to Stuart Dallas, boost his ego even more. He won't be able to get his head through the door. He'll be having a mural commissioned himself, only of him. And a place on the medal podium then maybe for, uh, for Ali McCoyce. Yes, with um, Diego Llorente and his Copa del Rey medal next to him. Right, Stewie Dallas is the Andy Hughes Hero of the Week. Full TSB access on our new sub package. TSB Plus, have a look at that. The squareball.net forward slash plus early access to the match ball and exclusive subscriber only podcasts in the form of the extra ball, that Bradley Johnson interview. Well worth a listen this week. We'll catch you next time. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.